morning. My name's AJ. It's always a privilege and an honor to be with you this morning. We're going to jump right into the word, so would you stand with me? We honor the word of God in this house, so we stand in reverence of it so that we can receive the fullness that it contains. We're going to be in Psalm chapter 30 today, 12 verses. We're going to read all of them. I'm going to start a new series and a new series of thoughts that the Lord has put on my heart for us as a people. This is Psalm chapter 30. So the words of King David written at the dedication of the temple. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought my soul up from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. When you hid your face, I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever. Lord God, the maker of heaven and earth, would you minister your word to us today, exactly where it finds us, just as we are. Would it go forth and accomplish in us what you are intending it to accomplish in us this morning. Lord, we come to you with faith. We come to you with expectation. We come ready to hear the word of the Lord and allow it to change us, to make us like you. So Lord, I'm asking that you would give each and every one of us here eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart that can understand what the spirit of the living God is saying in this place. Be pleased to dwell among us today, I pray in Jesus' name. Can you say amen? amen? And you can head to your seats. And give God a praise as you do. Because I don't want to stop what God has started. I don't know if you know who Elliot Kipchoge is. If you're a runner in the running scene, you might know who he is. He's a Kenyan marathon runner, one of the greatest of all time. Elliot Kipchoge last year in 2022, we set the world record for the fastest marathon. He ran 26.2 miles in two hours, one minute, and nine seconds. Now, I know on face value, that just sounds like it's probably pretty good because it's a world record. Let me give you some context for it. That man ran 26.2 consecutive miles at an average pace of 4 minutes and 37 seconds per mile. I don't know the last time you ran a mile. <laughs> last time I was 
uh, having to run miles. I was in the best shape of my life, playing sports all the time, and I think the goal was to get under six minutes for one mile. This man ran 26.2 consecutive miles at 12 miles an hour, which is faster than most treadmills go. How I many know that's just different? That's almost unnatural. That man is special. You probably, probably have not heard the name Courtney Dowalter. Courtney Dowalter is an ultramarathon runner. Ultramarathons are anywhere between 100 and 250 miles. A couple years ago, she ran the Moab 240, which is, yes, 240 miles in the Moab Desert in Utah. She finished that race 10 hours faster than the next closest competitor, male or female. How many of you know that's different? That ain't normal. There's something special going on there. There's lots of people like this in every field that we see, academics, arts, music, all over industry, wherever there is a place to excel, people are excelling at the highest levels. And if I'm just honest with you, I get a little jealous when I see people succeed at such a high level. And I'm tempted to think that there's just something God-given different for them that won't be the same for me. Now, I am not, lest you mishear me this morning, interested in running a marathon. The Bible says only a fool runs who is not being chased. And that is a verse I have built my life upon. And it has served me well all the days of my life, and I don't plan to move off of it now. But I will say, there are some things I want to succeed at, and I want to see God do here in this earth through what he's given me. And when I see people succeed at that level, I'm tempted to think they just have something that I don't. But the Lord reminded me that the same God who made them is the same God who made me. And his same spirit is within me that if I can walk in the purposes that he has made me for, submitted to him under him, then he can make me excel at whatever he has for me. I think a lot of Christ followers have forgotten their identity. This is the work of the devil to distract us, to take a good thing that God's given us and then to corrupt it or try to destroy us. The devil is fine with you knowing that you're created as long as you forget you whose image you're created in. A lot of people settle right there. I believe there's a God. I believe he made me, but you've forgotten. He didn't just make you. He made you in his image. Genesis 1.27 says, God says, let us make mankind in our image. So that means after he created the heavens and the earth, after he created the waters and the land and the sky, after he put every green thing on the earth and filled it with plants and trees, he put birds in the air, fish in the sea, and animals on the land. And after he did all of that, God said, that's good, but let me make something very good. Let me make something different than everything I've made before before. Let me make something new. And when God said, let me make something new, God made you. I'm going to make something that bears my image, that exists in the earth to reflect who I am to all of creation. I want to create something utterly unique, 
Something that partners with my creative, life-giving, community-building nature and will itself express creativity and give life and build communities. I want something different. Over the next few weeks, as I'm in and out of this pulpit and for as long as God has given me the messages to go along with this topic, I'm going to stand here and remind you that you are made in the image of God. You have purpose on your life. You are different than anything else God has made. I want to remind you that you are the title of my series. You are built different. Turn to your neighbor, tell him I'm built different. Tell him I'm in the world, but I'm not of this world. Tell him this world ain't seen nothing like me. Come on, put some faith on it this morning and stand in who God made you to be because God made you beautifully and wonderfully and uniquely and purposefully. God didn't mess up when he made you. He knew just what he was doing. You are built different, and I want us to walk in that. Now, lest you think I'm going down some prosperity gospel route to talk about how great you are this morning, the word that God gave me for this Sunday is one that's very personal to me, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, it's the way that God has made us different because we have hope when it hurts. It's the title of my message this morning, Hope When It Hurts. You see, David wrote Psalm 30, that psalm that we read, for the dedication of the temple. And what's interesting to know about that is that King David was not at the dedication of the temple. He wanted to finish the temple for God, but God told him, I can't let you finish it. Essentially, David, you've got too much blood on your hands. You've, you've killed too many in battle. I'll have your son Solomon finish the temple. So that means David either wrote this psalm ahead of time for the dedication, or after he wrote his psalms, they selected this psalm to be read at the dedication of the temple. And it's an interesting psalm to me to be one of the ones that you read when you're dedicating the finished temple of God, the temple that's built in Jerusalem, like the first beautiful, ornate, magnificent one. This is the psalm. Now, granted, this psalm on the front end and the back end starts and ends with praise, it's called an inclusio. If you're looking for some fancy words today, I've got about three. I'll give them each to you. It's an inclusio. Starts with praise, ends with praise. But if you look at it closely, even though it starts with praise and ends with praise, pretty much everything in the middle is a mess. I don't know if you've ever been there in life where everything in the middle just seems to be a bit messy. This psalm talks about how there's weeping that lasts through the night. Sorrow that sticks along longer than it should have. About suffering under the anger of God and being humbled after your boasting in your own ability. It's talking about the reality that life sometimes is messy. And what the early Israelites are saying is that even though life is hard, we're going to start with praise, and we're going to end with praise. I'm going to bookend our life in this temple. We're not going to ignore that bad things happen. We're not going to put on a pretty face and act like everything's good when it's not. We acknowledge that sometimes life is a mess. But if God started it, surely he'll see it through to completion. And what he finishes, he finishes and works together for the good of all mankind, those who call upon the name of the Lord. So I'm going to start with praise and end with praise, even if everything in the middle makes me want to cry out in pain. This is how we can have hope when it hurts because we know what our God is capable of. Look at how David starts in verse one. He says, I will extol you, O Lord, 
for you have drawn me up and you have not let my foes rejoice over me. David says, you've drawn me up. That word drawn in the Hebrew is the word dalah. Dalah, it's most often used when uh, creating a picture or an image or describing drawing water up from a well. So David is saying, Lord, you saved my life from the pit. You've drawn me up out of a low place, out of a dark place, out of a watery grave. When I was down buried beneath the earth, Lord, you reached down and you drew me up like someone drawing water up from a well. When I'm at my lowest, and David knew what it was like to be low, his family neglected him, heartily accepted him. His king persecuted him and tried to have him killed. His son rebelled against him. His family was all kinds of messed up. He sinned so grievously before the Lord, the Lord had every right to take him out on the spot and nobody would have doubted it. David knew what it was like to be in a low place. And I know many of you know what it's like to be in a low place. Some of you are sitting in a low place today, right now. You're saying, I don't know if life could get any more challenging, any more difficult. I don't know if I can sink any lower than I am right now. You got a friend that has let you down, a job that has laid you off. Maybe you have been crying out to God for answers and you're still waiting on him to respond to you. Maybe that relationship that you thought was going to last a lifetime didn't. And here you sit down in a low place. Not sure where to go or what to do or how to get out. Well, David shows us how to get out of a low place. David says, I will extol you, O Lord. That word in the Hebrew, it's my fancy word for the day, is reshpavmim. Reshpavmim, it just sounds good to say it, so I had to say it. I wasn't going to learn it and not use it. If I'm going to learn it, you're going to receive it. So reshpavmim, it means to extol, which is, in other words, to say exalt, which is really just to mean to lift you up. David is saying, I will make you, O Lord, higher than I am, because here I am down low in the dirt. I can't get any lower than I am. And David is teaching you, when you're in a low place, don't look around for help. The people with you down there can't help you out. They're in the same predicament you're in. When you're down in a low place, don't try to get yourself out. You've been digging for months. You haven't made it an inch. You're the reason you're down there in the first place. You can't help yourself get out of a low place. That's what got you down there in the first place. When you're down in a low place, don't try to drag God down and go, God, look at the mess you got me in. Look what you did to me. Why don't you answer me? When you're down in a low place, David is saying, I will lift you up to a high place because when you're in a high place, place and I'm in a low place only then can you draw me up out of where I am and pull me up to where you are God will join you in a low place but he'd rather draw you up out of a low place David is saying I have been low before and when I'm low I look up and I lift up your name O Lord my God for you have rescued me Sometimes we just have to remind ourselves of this as Christians in this earth. Something I've got to remind myself all the time when things don't go the way I thought they were going to go, when the expectations I had were, were not met, when things that, that, that were promised were, were not met in my timeline, when it, when it hurts, I've got to remind myself that I am different 
from the world. I don't respond the way the world responds. I don't blame God, I don't accuse God, I trust in God. I bless the Lord my God and I exalt him on high. And it can be hard when you're in a low place, especially when you're in a low place for a long time. What do you do when you find yourself in a low place for a long time? Well, until he lifts you up, you lift him up and you keep lifting and you keep lifting, and you keep lifting. This is what it looks like to hope even when it hurts. This was a command that David gave, not a suggestion. When the king writes, the king doesn't write in suggestions and opinions. When he writes, he writes commands. Look at verse four and verse five. This is what David tells the congregation to do. He says, sing praises to the Lord, O you saints, and give thanks. Not think about it, not consider, not try to get your, he says, sing praises and give him thanks. That's a command. Because the nights will be long and sorrow might last all night long. You might be in a place of pain. And when we're suffering the consequences of our sin, what is the first thing to always go? Our gratitude and our worship. Now, I don't know why it is when we're faced with difficult moments or moments of temptation, it's always our good qualities that leave us first. I wish that weren't so. My wife will bake a fresh pan of chocolate chip cookies and self-control is out the window, y'all. Out the window. I'll eat till my stomach hurts and go, I think I can fit one more in. When my children are disobedient to me time and again, why is it my gentleness is the first thing to leave me? Why can't my anger go away from me when I'm cut off in traffic? Like, why is it only good qualities that leave me when I'm in a moment of temptation or a moment of difficulty? I think David is helping us see that the reason that that happens is because we treat temporary circumstances like they're permanent. What we tell ourselves when we're facing a moment of temptation, if I don't get that, I'll pretty much just die. Like, what will be the point of living after this moment if I don't partake, if I don't indulge, if I don't get what I want? This is the lie. Tell me the truth. Y'all don't lie in church. This is what the cycles of your mind essentially tell you. They tell you, is life even going to be worth living if you don't have it? Is it? It's not. Just take it because you deserve it. You should have it. You want it? Go and get it. That's a temporary desire that we make permanent decisions over. And we should not treat permanent that which is temporary. We find ourselves in a dark moment and in a difficult moment where it hurts and all we want is the pain to stop. So we will do anything we can just to stop what's been started in our life. And so we make permanent decisions over temporary circumstances. And we leave people and we leave jobs and we leave places because of a momentary pain that comes against us. We respond with permanence. David is saying, the sorrow will come and it will last for the night, but it will not last forever because there's a new day that comes after the night of sorrow, after the night of pain, after the night of longing, after the night of desire. When you think you can't make it another day, there's a new day that's coming. And on the new day come new mercies, new grace, and fresh perspective. And with that comes the joy of the Lord. 
So you might be in a low place, but that's not the last place you're going to be in. So you wait through the night, singing praise and giving thanks because there is a joyful morning on the other side of this dark night. The Lord says it through Isaiah like this, for a small moment I have afflicted thee, but with everlasting mercies I will gather thee. We live like the opposite is true. The afflictions are everlasting and the mercies are momentary. But the word of God is that the afflictions that you experience, those are the small moments. The favor and the mercy that you experience is the everlasting moment. You live and walk in the favor of God so often you don't even recognize it. You don't know how much God has withheld from your life because he loves you. You don't know how much mercy you are shown every day of your life just because God loves you. Not because you did anything, just because he loves you. We walk in the favor of God and the mercy of God almost every breath that we breathe. Because a God of justice does not have to put up with a rebellious people. Except for that he loves you. And so he lets his mercy meet his justice so that we can live and breathe and make mistakes and fall down and get back up and walk day after day after day just trying to get marginally better. The afflictions come, but they last for a moment. The mercy, it lasts for a lifetime. So wait until the rest of the story is told. You ever watch movies with people who love to guess the ending of the movie during the movie? God in his benevolence had me marry one of those people. They say marriage is one of the things that sanctify you faster than anything else. It was early on in my marriage that I realized um, I was married to somebody who could guess the ending and ruin all my movies. She'd be like, that guy dies. I'm like, we're five minutes in. You've got to wait. You cannot. Like, she's going to betray him. I can see. I'm like, you stop. I want it. There was a twist and you <sighs> just ruining. I like surprises. I like to wait and see. But also I think there's health in just waiting and seeing the story that God is writing before you guess the ending of it. You know, sometimes we are so insecure with where we are, so insecure in the place we find ourselves, so fidgety and so anxious, we can't just let our minds be quiet. So we try to guess the ending. We try to write the paragraph. Some of you won't even let God finish the sentence he's writing today. And all I'm saying is this, would you in humility get behind the pen as God writes your story. You're trying to get ahead and guess the ending. And God is saying, just stick with me. I'm only here. I'm not there yet. I'm here right now. Would you stay behind where I am and let me finish the story that I've started for you? If you find yourself in the place, the word of the Lord for you, just keep reading. Don't quit. Don't flip to the end of the book and try to see how it goes. Just keep reading. One day after another day after another day, you stay behind the pen of God. I know that sorrow lasts through the night. And I know that when the night is dark, it's hard to believe it'll ever be light again. I got that. I have lived in that place. But just keep reading. 
You, the chapter that you're on might be a long one, but I can promise you it's not the last one. Just keep reading. Just go day by day, trusting in the Lord, singing his praises, giving him thanks for what you do have, not for what you don't have. Just be settled in the Lord and the strength of his might. David says, sing his praises and give him thanks. For his anger comes, but his anger also goes. His favor comes, but his favor doesn't go anywhere. He's with you. He's always with you because he is Emmanuel, God with you you. So though you might have sorrow through the night, you can also have a song in the night as well. And although you might be in a place of great pain, while you're in great pain, you can bring a great praise. I wrote a bunch of these. They were fun to write. Uh, I'll do one more. You might be worrying, but you can also be worshiping. Do you understand what I'm saying? That you can hold intention both where you're at and what God has said. Those things coexist. It's not one or the other. They exist at the same time. So though sorrow lasts through the night, just sing his praise and give him thanks. David believes this so much, he uses it to negotiate with God. I love it. Everybody negotiates with God, first of all, lest you think you're holier than thou. We all come to God with our little negotiations. It's just a part of our human nature. And most often, we negotiate with God based on what we think God should do for us, right? God, if you bless me then I will bless you. If you help me, then I will serve you. Watch how David negotiates with God because he flips it upside down. Look at verse eight and verse nine. He says, to you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? David's going, God, if you take me out, what you want, this dust, this dirty old dust going to praise your name? Who going to lift you up, God, if you take me out? I'm your man. You going to let this, this, this dirty old ground tell the story of your faithfulness? Why don't you leave me where I'm at and let me do what I do best? See, David didn't say, let me have victory over my armies. Let me conquer more kingdoms. Let me be a great, you know, whatever, royal king and all that. David said, let me do the thing that you made me to do, the thing I've been doing. What have I been doing out in the sheep pen but writing you songs, writing you stories, telling of the faithful of my God. So Lord, why don't you leave me here so I can do what you made me to do? We come acting like God wants us to be doing something different than what he made us to do. He made us in his image to reflect his glory. So if you don't know where you're at this morning, what your purpose is, maybe you find yourself in a low place. Do what David did. Sing his praise, give him thanks, and tell his story. That's our God-given purpose, 1 Peter 2, 9. Peter writes like this. He says, you, and he's, at this point we can say he's writing to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. The reason God saved you and didn't take you straight, straight away to heaven is because you had a purpose to fulfill here on earth. And if you're curious what that purpose is, Peter made it plain. Proclaim how excellent our God is. Tell the story of the one who brought you out of darkness and into light. If you don't know what you need to do, this is what you need to do. So let me just encourage you this morning to live your life in a way that makes God want to keep you around.
Give God a reason to keep you here. Walk in the purpose that he made you for. And watch how God turns these things around in your life. This is how David concludes the psalm, and I'll close with these thoughts. As David, as David concludes this, he's reflecting back and he's remembering all the times that God has done this for him before. Look what he says in verses 11 and 12. He says, you have turned for me. You've turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth, which is the clothes you wear while grieving. He's saying, you took the clothes that I wear when I'm grieving and you've clothed me with gladness instead. That my glory, which is to say the full essence of my entire being, my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. You know, we don't always have everything we need. We don't always have a good thing to give to God. Sometimes we feel like we come before the Lord and we just don't have everything we're supposed to have. We don't have it all buttoned up. We don't have it all nice. We don't have it all together. Sometimes all we have to bring to God is our tears. Sometimes all we have to bring to God is our mourning. Sometimes all we have to bring to God is our anger, our doubt, our frustration. But God will take what you have and turn it into what you need. That's what David is telling us here. All I had for the Lord was mourning, but he took my mourning and he gave me a song that I'm gonna dance to. All I had was sorrow, and my sorrow was lasting all night. I was wearing my sackcloth and my ashes, and it was just ugly for me, but that's all I had. So I brought it to God, and he clothed me with gladness. He put strength in my spirit and a song in my heart. I don't know what you have this morning. You might be here going, God, all I have is me. I couldn't get my spouse here, couldn't get my kids here. It's just me today, Lord. But I'm giving you what I've got. Watch God turn it into what you need. You might be here with a broken heart, some expectation for your life that didn't pan out, a marriage that ended too soon, kids you don't get to see all the time you wanted to. That might be all you have. But give him all you have and watch him turn it into everything you need. You might just have two copper coins. You might just have air in your lungs. But if all you got is air in your lungs, that means you got a song on your lips. So give him what you do have and watch him turn it into what you do need. You don't have to have everything. You just got to have something. And when you find out what something you have, you got to give it to God so he can give you everything he is. This is the way our Lord works. Come and see, he says. Bring into my presence what you've got. Watch me do more with it than you could ever imagine. Here's the reality. God doesn't want what you have. He wants all that you are. You were made in his image. He calls you son and daughter. He don't want to see you on the weekends. He don't want to see you when you need money. He don't want to see you when you're in a bad spot. He wants to see you all the time, every day. He wants you to live with him and be close to him. He is saying, I want everything you've got. And our God is not so unjust that he won't meet you exactly where you are. Because God looks out at humanity when humanity needed him most. We were at our lowest point. 
There was so much sin, danger, and destruction in the world. We were just killing each other constantly. So much dysfunction everywhere. And God looks down over humanity and says, they need what I got. So I'm going to give them all I have. So he comes and he walks the earth as a man named Jesus. He performs miracles, signs, and wonders that would testify to his deity as God. He would teach the scriptures, and as he's teaching the scriptures, he's fulfilling the scriptures. He's healing the lame and the blind and the sick. He's restoring hope and setting captives free. He's releasing people from curses and demonic oppression. And when they saw this good thing that God gave them, they turned it into something they wanted to get rid of because they saw Christ as something that was going to take from them that they thought was theirs to begin with. And so they accused him of crimes he didn't commit. And they tried him. And they sentenced him to death. And they put him up on a cross. And when he hung his head and surrendered his spirit, do you know what it says? It says that the skies got dark. It says that Mary wept. And Peter wept. And James wept. And they wept all night. So there was a sorrow that lasted through the night. And there was a night that lasted through the day. And it was dark on Friday. And it was dark on Saturday. But how many of you thankful the sun came up on Sunday? You see, they tried to hold him down, but they couldn't. They put him in a tomb, down beneath the ground, in a low place, in a dark place, in a place they thought he wouldn't get up from. But the Lord God extended his hand and drew him up like he's drawn water from deep down in a well. And he drew him up from a low place so we could lift him up to a high place. This is what our God wants from us today. He says, what you've got, I'm going to turn it into what you need. You thought you had no hope. I'll give you hope everlasting, life abundantly, all that you need and more. Just give me what you've got, and I'll give you everything I have. Can we give a shout of praise to our God who sees us where we're at? And if you find yourself down low, would you lift the Lord up high? And if you find yourself really low, then you better lift him really high because the praises bring his presence because he inhabits the praises of his people. Our God reigns. Our God is good. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is our healer, our savior, our merciful one, the lamb that was slain and the lion who reigns. And we're going to stand and give him praise in this place for a few more seconds and close the